I love Jesse Cockbill. Dear brother, dear friend, a lot of good memories right here in Huntsville. And now he's loving Jesus in Alaska, making a difference. Man, you guys, he just gave you an incredible opportunity. Like, where he's working is, like, you're not going to find many places that are more beautiful than that. It's like paramount. It's like incredible. And then really an incredible working environment where you can actually make some money over the summer and then be in a great community and see what it's like to love Jesus in the marketplace. Like we've talked about in our marketplace weeks, right? But this is like hands to the plow doing it with some alumni that have gone before you. So such an amazing opportunity. Talk to Jesse afterwards. Cool. All right, crew. How are we tonight? Um, It's always hard to get a microphone after Landon's been up here. Um, Did I say Landon? Uh, um, Yeah, Jesse was like, I'm going to follow that guy. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. I'm going to get my good brother, Jamarcus, um, to come up here and read to get us started. And before I do, I want to tell us a quick story, take us back to junior high. Does anybody remember junior high? You did everything you could to forget it, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story, and it'll remind you why some of you tried to forget junior high, and why some of you should have tried to forget junior high, because of the role you played, okay? So, um, this was, I think I was in sixth grade, my buddy was, he was a couple years older, I think he was in eighth grade. Um, and we were keeping score at a baseball game in the town where I grew up in Fredericksburg, Texas. And this is, this is quite some time back, you guys. This is before you have digital scoreboards. And, and you have a scoreboard in the outfield where they give kids a box of, like, numbers, and you walk out there, and when the score changes, you turn around and you put it up on the wall, okay? On the board, okay? Not digital. And I don't think we probably did a very good job of keeping score, and all the fans knew it's just the kids keeping score. But to us, it was this dignified thing that we were out there. We had the scoreboard that night, and we were keeping score, okay? So it's me, my brother, and our friend named Lauren, and we're happy to have this position. But between innings, this girl comes out with her friends, really tall, skinny girl, blonde hair, that kind of went like this, and we called her... We called her broomstick with a mop head. So I guess she should have just been like. This is so mean. Yes. Okay, well, here's what she did to us. She comes out to us, and she looks at us, and you can tell that she's bothered that we got this position, and she did not. Okay? So she looks at us, and she says, who are you, boys? And we identify ourselves. And then she looks at the older one, Lauren, and she goes, and where do you go to school? And he goes, oh, the middle school here in town, Fredericksburg Middle School, FMS. I'm in eighth grade. And she goes, so am I. And I am one of the most popular kids in school. And I don't know you. So what is she doing? She is saying, I am a part of the in crowd, I am an insider, and you are not. 
You are on the outside. I've never seen you. I've never noticed you. And now if I do see you, I will especially not notice you. Right? You're an outcast. So I mentioned this to my wife, and I said, she works at Alpha Omega Christian Academy here in town. She does fifth grade. I said, what's the junior high like this year? What's the atmosphere? And she said, like junior high. And the sixth grade is especially bad. And I was like, really? Give me some stories. And she said, well, for instance, she said, it's kind of sad, but there's one kid that has scabies. He does not have scabies, but one girl in the class has convinced everybody else that he does. And so everything he touches, whether it's a pencil, an eraser, or a table, must be disinfected and sprayed. But isn't that terrible? What if you're that kid on, that, on the other end of that? Okay. Okay, so what we're doing, I've set up JMR to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. We're reading about clean and unpeople, unclean people, people that are on the, on the inside and people that are on the outside, outcasts. Keep that in mind to help you understand Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. If you actually read to 18, I wouldn't mind, JMR. Thank you. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of man. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this body, one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we, are, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Thank you. Thank you. With that said, I do want to welcome Wheezy Company tonight to Chi Alpha. They've been on the very back row, and tonight they were far off, but they've come near, and they've joined us. They moved up like three rows. Okay. So let me give you some, some background on this scripture here, um, scriptural background for you. There are two types of people in the world. There are two types of people in the world. Those from Israel, Jewish people, God's chosen people, and the rest of us, Gentiles. You got that? Two kinds of people in the world, God's chosen people, Israel, and Gentiles, which covers all of us for the most part, unless there are some Jewish folks in the house tonight. I didn't see CJ here, so maybe he might listen in. <laughs> okay. So Paul is writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus, and he's reminding them, let me adjust this. He's reminding them, he's saying to them, 
Guys, you were excluded, but now you have been included. You were excluded, but you have now been included. So the people, more background here, the people of Israel were given God's laws to live by them that they might walk in God's favor and be blessed. They were then to share these blessings with others that they too might come to know and walk with God. Instead of doing this, what did Israel do? They failed to live by God's commands and they instead used them as a divider between, between them and others. You follow that? So what they did is they considered, they had these laws given to God, from them by God, and he's saying, follow these, it'll go well with you, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to all nations. Instead, they took these and made them their own and said, we are special, others are not. They considered themselves clean and others unclean, dirty, okay? And they despised people that were different than them. And what did those people do that were despised? The Samaritans, Gentiles? How do, how do you respond to somebody when they despise you? You return the favor, right? You despise them back. And that's what happened. They were despised back. The Gentiles despised the Jews back. And then hostility reigns. Has anything changed? This is not unfamiliar to us, right? I don't need to explain this too much. There's nothing new under the sun. This is not confined to Israel. Nor, let me explain this, nor is it confined to your experience, my experience, our experience in America today. Most often we just know of the difficulty between races in our own context, but it is a worldwide issue. Hostility between people, different people, is worldwide. And if we're honest, there's no single people group on the receiving end. It's not one group that's just a victim. We also all know how to dish it out, if we're honest. In the last century, we, century, the last 100 years that is, we have had 14 known genocides. That means 14 genocides that are widely agreed upon, resulting in the death of roughly 23 million people. Thankfully, the mass majority of us will never participate in genocide. Please say amen, right? Okay. But we will do this. We will magnify our strengths and minimize our weaknesses while doing the exact opposite for others. Did you follow that? We may not commit genocide, but we all become quite crafty at this. We magnify our strengths and minimize our weaknesses while doing the exact opposite for other people. So, so what do we do? How do we bring unity among diversity? How do we bring unity among diversity? This is what we have done. We have educated, we have trained, we have taught. Um, this is what we're currently doing even at Sam Houston as a university. This is what will be done even this month. If you got that slide coming up, you might have seen these on campus. And these are designed to help us with the issues of diversity, promote diversity. By promoting diversity, what we're trying to do is promote unity among diversity. You don't want just differences, you want unification among differences, right? All right? Okay. So maybe you've seen some of these celebrate the diversity on campus 
far right, fostering a culture of respect and inclusion. And then we have coming up um, the diversi Diversity Leadership Conference. Anybody seen these? Okay, I, saw, I shot pictures of these things. Well, I'm talking about this, okay? Here is Sam Houston's effort to do this. Um, but let me, let me ask us this. What's going to happen um, when Eddie Wong here on the left, when he comes and he speaks to students on campus, what is going to happen? You're like, I don't know, Jason, and I don't know where you're taking this. I'm interested. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. He's got a unique perspective. He's got a unique experience. So he's going to share that. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to share that with people that already share his perspective. Who's going to want to hear him speak? The people that maybe have a similar experience. And they're going to come and listen. And they're going to say, that's right, brother. We would say maybe amen, right? But do you think the Ku Klux Klan is going to be there? No, they're going to stay as far away as they can, right? So what I'm saying is those that might benefit won't be there. And what I am saying is education has helped, and it certainly has its place, but ultimately matters of the heart will not be fixed by mere education. And we lack unity because we are divided within ourselves. We lack peace within our own hearts and project what we feel on others. Let me say that first part again. We lack unity because we are divided within ourselves. There's an external problem that's preceded by an internal problem. You get that? We lack peace within our own hearts, and then we project what we feel on others. Thomas Burton, the Trappist monk, he said it really well, so I'm going to lean on him. He said this, man is not at peace with his fellow man because he is not at peace with himself. He is not at peace with himself because he is not at peace with God. I'm going to read that again. Man is not at peace with his fellow man because he is not at peace with himself. He is not at peace with himself because he is not at peace with God. I know this stuff from experience. Our weaknesses make us feel inferior, right? Then our strengths make us feel superior. Both of those are a pitfall. Neither is healthy, and both are rooted actually in our own pride. Every person has their strengths as well as their weaknesses. This is true also of nations and cultures. We have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. What if we learn to complement each other, not just clash, not just contradict? So what I want to do is kind of give us a sampling here. I'm, this is kind of like maybe walking on thin ice, maybe a little bit risky, but I'm going to go for it, okay? And I'm going to take two people groups and I'm going to compare and contrast them, okay? Uh-oh. Okay. I'm going to do this kind of from the context I grew up in. I told you earlier, Fredericksburg, Texas is where I grew up. Most of my friends that were white had a German ancestor. They came from German folks, okay? It was a German settlement. Then I had quite a few friends that were brown, and they were Mexican background, okay? What I discovered, and I had wonderful friends that I love on both sides, Mexican friends, German friends, German heritage friends, okay? It's kind of a melting pot at this point, but there's still very, very distinct differences that I experienced. Can I highlight some of these? 
Okay, now let me preface this. These are generalities. There's always outliers within every culture, right? Okay, so don't nail me to the wall with these, but you should get the general gist of these, okay? Germans, here we go. They pay attention to detail. They, they like to make precision machinery and instruments. They are generally perfectionists and sometimes to a fault. I experienced the other side of that was being with my Mexican friends who were much more prone to say, that will do. That is good enough. You follow this? And one is like over here and one is over here. When it came to time, like for a German, if you're not early, again, there are outliers, but by and large, if you are not early, you are late. And for quite a few of my Mexican friends, if you showed up early, you wasted some of your time. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Let's talk about food. Here's another one. So last year I was on a mission trip to Mozambique, Africa. We stopped off. Yeah. We stopped off. Next week, we're actually having the missionaries, our missionary friends to Mozambique are going to be speaking here next week. Matt and Andrea Marlin. Um, so I was on the way to see them. We stopped off, super long layover, 12-hour layover in Switzerland. We drove into the Alps, the Swiss-German part of the country, went into a German restaurant, and we got German food. And they didn't actually speak, well, hardly any English. It was like small rural Switzerland. So they're only speaking German. I'm like, oh yeah. And I did actually revert to a little bit of German that I knew growing up in a German town. And I was able to order like a, a Wiener schnitzel with French fries. I order that and my friends with me look at me and go, what did you just say? I was like, I just ordered like a, a, a pork, like pork tenderloin fried with, with French fries. And they're like, get that for me. So like three other guys with me, we get it and then we eat it, and I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. Uh, and we're getting in the car, and we're leaving, and one of the guys says, Jason, so was that, was that good? Was that good, Wiener Schnitzel? And I was like, uh, yeah, I thought it was actually pretty good. He was like, really? And I was like, yeah, what did you expect? And he goes, well, I mean, it was, it was all right, but it was kind of boring. It was just like meat and potatoes. I mean, uh, yeah, meat and potatoes. And I was like, yeah, it's German food. And then I was, you know, was kind of like, what did you expect? Like tacos al pastor or carnitas or like, like, a, like a hot, spicy, flavorful taco? And, and he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is, just, this, is, this is German food. But again, you got two different ends of the spectrum with the German population and the Mexican population. You guys follow that? Okay. Here's another one. You go to, you go to church, like my, my Lutheran friends, man, a.k.a. the frozen chosen, I mean, if you, didn't, if you weren't used to that and you're used to the other side of the deal, which I'll get to, you could go to a church service with my Lutheran brothers and it might feel like a somber funeral to you. But if you were to take some of those somber, frozen, chosen Lutherans and take them to a charismatic Mexican church, oh man, oh man, they would feel like you had taken them to a very wild party and they would be wondering if the roof is about to blow off. I've experienced both. I'm not exaggerating either way. But are you with me? Do you see the differences? Do you see how there could be a clashing and a contradiction? Or there could be a wonderful compliment to each other? If Mexican people and German people actually live together and love each other, it's a really beautiful, amazing community. 
And that's how it should be, or could be. So here's the question again. How do we learn to complement each other rather than contradict or clash? How do we find unity among diverse people? How do we find unity among diverse people? I'll pause and let that sink in. You can ask yourself that question. I'm not just asking you that for myself. We have to own this question. How do we, how do you find unity among diversity, among diverse people? It's a question that our culture is asking. Here's what I can point out. Unity among diversity comes at a price. Unity among diversity comes at a great cost. Somebody has to compromise. Someone must die to their preferences. Does anybody feel the tension? Maybe some of you are honest and you go, die to my preferences. No, these are my rights. No, they need to die. But then you just made the point, somebody has to die. And it's not you. If it's not you, it's somebody else. If it's not them, then who is it? And if it's not either party, it's war, it's hostility. There is one that has paid the price for unity among diverse people. There is one that has paid the price for unity among diverse people. He left the comfort of his home and he came to ours. We were unclean and he was clean. We were unclean and he was clean, but he laid aside his glory and became one of us that we might be welcomed in to his father's house. Okay, to be a unifier, maybe some of us want to be that. To be a unifier in a diverse world, you need first to have been welcomed where you were not welcome. If you and I are to be unifiers in a diverse world, we need first to have been welcomed where we were once excluded. We need to be welcomed where we were not welcome. And this is precisely what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Can we have that up? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in. When we follow Jesus and are then welcomed by the Father, we ourselves become peacemakers. When we follow Jesus and are then welcomed by the Father, we ourselves become peacemakers. We lay down our identities, our identities, and we take up His. And we no longer find our identity as Texans, as Americans, you name it, or any number of the things that we do, and we so often find our identity in what we do, 
We're no longer supremely Texans, Americans, musicians, artists, athletes, whatever we identify ourselves as. We are first and foremost Christians. Galatians, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And you could make that list go on and on. Think of all the divisions you know of and put them in that scripture because it applies. For you are all one in Christ. We are first and foremost, above all else, Christians. There is no other identity you have that trumps that if you are a true follower of Jesus. Because through Jesus, the wall of hostility has been destroyed. This is what it means to become a Christian. To become a Christian is actually to be born again, right? Born again, born again Christian. To be born again into a new family. And that means a new commonality is created far exceeding all other commonalities you could have with anybody else over any interest you might have. I've experienced this time and time again. We're gonna do a lot of mission trips overseas, and I'm so excited for those of you that are joining us. If you don't join us this year, join us next year. They're crazy, cool, amazing, wonderful experiences. One of the most amazing experiences I get to have over and over is travel overseas across time zones. I mean, super long flights to the other side of the world, jet lagged and all, crossing all these time zones, passing up all these cultures, and landing in a culture that is very, very different from my own. And hearing people speak in a language I do not understand for a church service where I'm mostly lost, and then I begin to sense this presence and feeling that I have every time I meet believers on the other side of the world. And I find myself more at home with them than people I grew up with in my own neighborhood. And how can you explain that? But the I have the same spirit that they have because I have the same brother in Jesus and the same father in God by the work that Jesus has done. Mm. This is what's possible when we are in Christ. Okay. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God, this is short and sweet tonight and a hope potent. Short and sweet and a hope potent. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God, and as we've been saying, seated in the heavenlies, and we are there with him if we're in Christ, there's actually no more king of the hill to play. Follow that? Why? Because Jesus is king, and we are thrilled to be there and be his subjects united under one flag. Romans 8.29 says it this way, Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. He's the firstborn among many, meaning that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he actually created a new humanity, which made a way for us to lay down our lives filled with prejudices and take up a new life in him. That's it. That's pretty much the message tonight. I want to finish this way. Can I ask us to stand up? We're not going to do an altar time. The worship band's not coming. But I'm going to pray over us.
I'm going to ask you to do this. Put your arm around somebody. Let's like link arms like we're true brothers and sisters. Can we do that? Seems like you guys like each other. Okay. Can y'all rein it in? <laughs> Started to sway back and forth. Okay, listen to this. Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. The JMR read to us so well. If we understand anything about that passage tonight, if we understand anything about it, Chi Alpha Sam Houston State, we should be the most diverse, yet unified, loving group of people this campus has ever seen. That is what is possible through Jesus. All the hostility, all the division, everything that makes us different and separates us has been brought down, brought down, torn down. And Jesus has this powerful way of not diminishing our differences, but keeping them intact, but also building us together. Wherever diversity is promoted, so often it means you just have to be watered down and diluted. And Jesus is not asking for you to be diluted. He's made you as you are with your personality and your cultural background. But he wants to make a compliment, not clash. And through Jesus and his work on the cross, we can be the most diverse and yet unified, loving group of people on this campus. Can I pray for us in that way? And then we're done, but we get to go out and do this in front of a watching campus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word to us tonight. I pray that it would sink into our hearts deeply. I thank you that we are every one of us, people that were lost, people that were far off, that were separated from you, that had hostility in our hearts towards others and you, and couldn't even get along with ourselves. There's, there's tension within, and you have come, and you have made the difference. You have given us peace with yourself, peace with ourselves, within ourselves, and peace with each other. And I praise you, and I thank you for these things. And Lord, I pray over us as a family, as a body called Chi Alpha at this university. I pray that we would continue to grow in diversity, that people would look at us and marvel, and they would wonder how we're doing that. And Jesus, you would be the only sufficient answer. I pray that we would continue to grow in our diversity. And as we do, I pray that we would love each other more than ever. And that we would be unified. And that you, Jesus, would be glorified. When people look at us, they would know that you are the ingredient that is the difference maker. Would you make us people, Lord, that love each other so that other people are drawn to you? In the name of Jesus, amen.